Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by D.G. Mon, President of the National Association for Community Mediation and an attorney licensed in Illinois and Kentucky. D.G. Mon has served NAFCOM in several roles, first as a member of the Board of Directors, then as the JAMS Foundation Mini-Grant Program Manager, and currently serves NAFCOM as the President of the Membership Association. DG has worked in the local, state, and federal level health systems, interweaving his background in anthropology, religion, and law in a manner that connects well within both political and community settings. Throughout his career, he has sought to appreciate the cultural and systems of community and follow empathetic processes that strengthen both the individual and the system in order to facilitate the creation of sustainable, positive impacts. Good morning, DG, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning. So good to be with you, Mary. I'm so happy that you're here and glad to talk with you and find out about your work. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited. Well, let's go ahead and begin. Will you tell us about your work history? Absolutely. And and my very first job or work history, I was actually took care of people's gardens and lawns. And so as I pause with that question, most most of my work has always been about something I enjoyed and something I always enjoyed was gardening. And so when I became an adolescent or pre-adolescent in middle school and I needed some extra money, it made perfect sense to put little business cards together, which I did. I can remember doing that. It was in green and white and go around and say, do you need your lawn mode? And do you need your bushes pruned? Do you need weeding done? The idea of helping someone's home be more pleasing to them. So when they came home, they had that sense of comfort that meant a lot to me. And the idea to get paid to do that meant a lot to me as well. Um, So I very much enjoyed that first job. And I think if I look at my jobs from then, from middle school to now, the ones that I've enjoyed have always been the ones that have put me in a place where I could combine what I had a passion about, my first job gardening, and my desire to help people be more comfortable in their space, although I wouldn't have called it that as a as a seventh grader, um, but for folks to have that sense of being home, whether the home is at the office or the home is with workmates or the home is the physical home you you sleep in. So I think that would be a real long string of how my work has gone. So what are you doing presently? Currently, I I am an independent contractor. I work in in an office in my home and then do a lot of traveling. Now, during the pandemic, not so much traveling and got used to this, which is our online communication, Uh, but back to traveling again. And so the the significant work that I do is, is first, I'm the president of the National Association for Community Mediation, and it is... um, an association, a membership body with members in Canada and the United States who believe that those in conflict should be the ones that resolve their conflict and that those outside the conflict, they're not the ones to do it. And so instead of going to a judge who doesn't know you or a jury who doesn't know you, let's sit together, whether it's through facilitated dialogue, mediation, world cafes, coaching, restorative circles, any practice 
that those in conflict feel that they can be really transparent in, that they are co-creating their choices in, that they're seen and they're recognized. One of the, I think, um, a significant traumatic thing, the way our judicial system works, is we tell those in the conflict to sit down and be quiet and let the lawyer talk. We're immediately telling that person, I don't see you. We're telling the person, your lawyer's words mean more than your words. We're telling the person that the end decision isn't yours to make. It is mine as the judge with advice from the jury and the attorneys. It is telling people that we're not in this together, but we have now created an us and a them. So a lot of the work that we do is how do we bring back conflict as a positive thing to sit with and to think about what did I do? What can I do? And what do I want and need in this situation? So that's my most significant work. I also work for the state of Indiana, assisting them in helping their substance abuse mental health system be more impactful for the people they serve, as well as the people who are providing the service. And then I think my third major scope of effort is I have the honor of working for the JAMS Foundation and assisting in distributing resources around the country to help people in conflict be able to have that be more productive and health producing. So how did that was you a get, lot? Sorry, that's a lot. No, that's wonderful. How did you get into um, the mediation world? I came into the mediation world one subconsciously and one consciously. The subconscious one was when I was actually in law school and I had the honor of um, working for the mayor at the time of being what was called community liaisons, which you went out and you heard community issues. And the mayor was absolutely amazing. And what he wanted was for me not only to hear them, but help the people solve them and then bring back to them, here's how they wish to resolve their issue. So that while we do not call that community mediation we didn't call that restorative practices. It's exactly what I was being asked to do. Once I realized that as, as my life progressed, I went and became trained in mediation, worked in mediation, and then eventually found my way to NAFCOM because the distinction in between community mediation and mediation is that mediation is still very court-directive very attorney directive and community mediation puts all that directive back to the people in the conflict. And so my role is not to direct how they're going to resolve the conflict. My role is to create that opportunity for them to be able to be brave and say, yeah, we want to really talk this through. We really want something better. I'm tired of it being the way it is. I have found that as well. So I taught philosophy for 23 years. And about five years ago, I became um, a, a Rule 31 listed mediator in the state of Tennessee. And I thought that when I was doing a career change that I would go into that. And I realized, well, I'm not a lawyer. And um, though you don't need to be a lawyer in um, theory, in practice, that's what the game was. And um uh, I still believe, you know, mediation is wonderful, but yeah, I, I found that as well to be true. So I certainly am more of a community mediator 
understood the way that you just defined it. That's fantastic. And the words you said was game. And what we're trying to do is not have it be a game because we're talking about people's lives. Yeah. And we're talking about them feeling safe in their community, safe in their home, safe at work, where they don't have to have the burden of wearing a mask every day and the weight of that mask, but really can be themselves. And it's to not have it be a game. And and many times people do experience the judicial system as a game. We've heard elected leaders say, I know how to game the system. It's not a game, it's life. Yeah. And it means a lot to the people who are in the struggle. Right. So let's remove the game. And so I'm thrilled to hear that you ha- you're a community at heart. We've got to get you to be a member of NAFCOM and, and uh, join and all the resources that we have to support those who really do believe that the way we are talking about this, Mary, this is how conflict should be resolved. And the way the TV shows show it with the courtroom, that should be the alternative dispute resolution. Only when you absolutely cannot resolve the conflict, only when the conflict has led to a traumatic end, a a felony such as death. Well, yes, those things should absolutely be within the judicial system. Anything else, we should have the ability to be able to sit and figure it out. What, What do we need to know? How do we see each other? How do we create these choices together? And how do we then implement it? together. Yeah. It's like preventative healthcare for the mind, right? For our, for our mental health. And if we can teach people, it's one of the things that I do try to empower people to deescalate themselves, to deescalate the situation. And I think mediation and just these sorts of tools of knowing how to deal with conflict is empowering. And that's what we should be about. Something has gone wrong if we were in the court system and we all know that, but why not reduce harm. We want to reduce harm. We want to help people flourish. And that's if you invest in the front end by teaching people, empowering and expecting people can deal with their problems and that they know best how to deal with their problems, then we would save so much heartache and money. And we would allow people to continue to connect in the way they really do. We are social beings. Yes. We are people who naturally wish to connect. How do we connect in a way that we can still be ourselves? Mm-hmm. You're you're absolutely correct. And, and it is about teaching people so they can own their own decisions. And something that that was confirmed for me just a few weeks ago is we, I've, I've always t- worked with people, please breathe, take a moment to breathe. If you feel the heat on the back of your neck, don't speak what's coming out of your mouth, hold it in and breathe. And I've been looking at some, some research and it shows that it, when it comes to our brain science, that if you can step away for anywhere from 10 to 25 minutes, depending how much that back of your neck was heated up, you can actually come back and re-engage in a way that'll be much more healthier for you. So instead of, which many times happens in the courtroom, how do we get this witness agitated? How do we get them to say things they wouldn't normally say? We're actually working against the brain science that says if they can breathe for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and then come back, they can then say what really is the truth unclouded by the pain 
unclouded by the harm, unclouded by the agitation that's going on. It's one of the most brilliant things judges can do is say, we're going to have a recess, is to get people to step back and breathe. That little trick, if you will, that little knowledge can resolve so much. If we look at preventative, can resolve so much of preventing conflict if people took a moment to breathe. In your work with uh, mediation and helping people solve their problems, you mentioned courage. How how do you come alongside and help people to do those really hard, difficult things, have those difficult conversations? The first, um, the first thing I do is I try not to refer to them as difficult because then we tell our brain, our subconscious, this is going to be really hard. And so what I say is, okay, how do we have a conversation you want to have, but you're concerned about having? And how do you move from a place of fearing that conversation to a place of welcoming it? And so the steps that I've worked with people is first, what do you need to know? What do you need to know? Do you need to know what's going to happen in the process? Do you know what the topics are we're going to talk about? One of the things I always do is have an agenda. Even it's a simple agenda. It helps people know, here's what we're going to cover. So when it comes to those conversations, that first step isn't to dive into it. It's to say, and it seemed to ask, why are we here today? What do you need to know so that you can fully participate in whatever the conversation's about? We know that there's an issue between these two groups, these two people, this whatever. Got that. What do you need to know? How are you me best prepared? I think that's the first step. And then the second step that I find I work with people is now tell me what you would like to have come out of today. I want to hear what you want to come out. Because many times we will put an expectation, X must come out, However, the people in the conflict may be very satisfied with Jay coming out. Well, then let's make Jay the objective and and accomplish that. So it's working through that part of what do you need to know? What would you like to have come out today? And then, then, and only then do I think they're really empowered, to use your word, to then speak the truth of why this is why they think they're having this conflict. So I don't get into why do you think we're here until I go to those first two steps. I think that's very helpful. So much of the reasons that we don't have these conversations is the the fear of the unknown. Uh, is this going to be make it worse? Am I going to uh, how am I going to what's going to be like afterwards? Or you know what is their hidden agenda? What's really behind all of this? And so. Again, trying to address that on the front end seems um, very human, very comforting. Your question, they may say, what do I need to know? I need to know what's behind all this. Mm-hmm. What What do you need to know? I need to know what I may lose if I enter this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people suffer with things at the workplace because they can't afford to be fired. Mm-hmm. And that that is a horrible work situation to be in. So let's ask it up front. Will I be fired? Will this go on my my personnel record? Those are perfectly amazing and needed questions right. to be answered. Right. If you're going to ask that person to to take off the mask and be real, 
they need to know what are the consequences of that. And if you say, yeah, I'm going to fire you if you yell in here, well, then that's a boundary we won't cross because I can't afford to be fired. Right. And then, then the situation is back to the supervisor. So if you've just told Mary she can't yell in here and she can't offend you, then what is it you need to hear so that you can support Mary and then put it back to the person? And so that's something else we're always conscious of is power dynamics and how do we shift that power back? So if it's, if that's the answer, I with power is telling Mary, if you yell and you're disrespectful for me, I, I'm writing you up, you're fired. Then I'm going to switch it back to me, if you will, and say, okay, well, now that you've just shut Mary down, <laughs> what do you want from Mary? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? Why are you here? And make it about the person with the power, because until they're willing to say, I want to hear what Mary has to say. Just bring it on. I won't write it up. Won't go in a book. Then there's no point encouraging Mary to say something. And many times we do. Oh, just say it. You need to say it. No, let's talk. And that's why that's always the first step for me. Tell me what it is you need to know. I don't ask the consequence thing, but tell me what it is you need to know. People will absolutely bring it up. Because people so desire to be heard. Yes. Yes. To be heard and to be seen. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Because you can hear my voice, but I could sound to you like Charlie Brown's teacher, to use an old (laughs) reference. And so you'll nod politely like Charlie Brown would do. And then I'd be done and you'd be like, okay. I want you to see me too. I want you to know I'm there. We never saw Charlie Brown's teacher. So she was heard a lot. Didn't make a difference. We need to be heard and seen. And when we're heard and seen, it's amazing as people what we're willing then to share with each other and 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 give lean in and give in to each other so we can be a we. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you think about the different places you've worked and the people that you've worked for, have you had experiences with bosses or workplaces that have modeled um, what you think is good leadership that in- encourages people to be honest and work together in a fruitful way? Yes, I have. What kind of characteristics did they have? I can think of several of them today. And each one of them are the ones that propelled me further to be this person I'm sitting here with you today being. And so I think the things they brought together is they would lay out, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Tell me what part of this you want to help with. And so they didn't hold me to, here's your job description, you can only do X, or the infamous thing people say all the time now, stay in your lane, which makes no sense to me. If there's an accident ahead, since you're turning along and getting into a different lane, right? I mean, you need to get off the interstate eventually, aren't you getting into another lane? I don't quite get the concept, but people say it a lot. The really good supervisors, managers, bosses I had were not there and did not approach that they were going to manage me or boss me. They were going to help me manage the work I was taking on so that we could accomplish this vision. Back to the mayor, his vision was that everyone in the city would know that he cared about them. And he gave me total reign to figure out how to do that 
in the geographic areas I was assigned to. And like he said, as long as it didn't give him bad press, he was good with it. The the woman I'm thinking of, another person when I worked um, in state government here in Kentucky, she was amazing. She'd have each of us one at a time sit on her couch in her office and just talk about what so what was great about the week for you? What, what would you like to start working on? Are there projects coming in that interest you? Why do they interest you? She would spend that time hearing the voice and recognizing each individual member on her team and really asking, what is it that energizes you? And a word I say with people on the team I get to support is tell me what feeds you. Because if you starve, you're going to die and I don't want you to die. So tell me what feeds you and let's see if we can get that work to you. And what I have found, in, and as I think about those situations, when you are connecting in that way, standing by the copy or making a hundred copies, you're not resenting. Right. Going around and editing and marking things up, the things that many workers resent having to do, you're not. Because it's all a part of helping the teams move closer to their, their shared vision. And I can remember a place I had where I cleaned the bathrooms because we had people coming and the bathrooms were a mess. You go in and clean. It wasn't in my job description. There were certainly other people I could have asked and didn't. Because to me, I wanted someone to come in the office and feel that we take care of all spaces here. So we're going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. So when I look at those really good supervisors, they listened, they asked, they they kept the identity of the organization in front of us. They kept, what's your purpose here? How do you contribute to that identity? And then how do you want to contribute to it? I like that so much because it sounds to me like we talk a lot today about human-centric workplaces. You know, we want to humanize. And instead of treating people as widgets or in a lane, right? That is very a mechanistic way of thinking about people. And it's, um, it is sort of this adult parent, or I don't know what kind of relationship it is, but it isn't adult to adult. It's not professional to a professional. Uh, and it's a, this sort of power dynamic that is uh, a weird power dynamic where that we think I'm in charge. And so I know, and I will uh, tell people what to do instead of, as you said, a team, which is more organic, which you get buy-in and belonging and something better and everybody is better for it. The image that I use the team, I have the honest part now is I'm the orchestra conductor and I'm going to trust that you know how to read music. I'm going to trust that you know how to play that instrument. And so I need you to trust that when I need you to play it, I'm going to turn to you. When I need you to be the solo, I'm going to turn to you. When I need you to blend in with the others, I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to, to make sure I'm always bringing, helping you be your best. And part of that is trusting you know how to play your instrument mm -hmm. and you know how to read music. So I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I'm not going to tell you how to get it done. What I am going to tell you is here's the night people are coming to the orchestra and you need to be ready. And here's the times in which we can practice that readiness. And I think having that balance, a, a word that that you said was adult to adult, I, I see it as really respect to respect. Mm -hmm. I respect that you know what it is you're doing. And what I found is by doing that, it frees people up to let me know when they don't. Mm -hmm. 
when I'm really not sure. Okay, well, let's talk about it. And my first place to talk about is, do you want to know? And the answer is no. I'm like, well, let's talk to someone else on the team to take it then. And if the answer is yes, I do. Okay, then let's talk about how we can get you that strength so you can do it. So it's never looking at, I don't know how as, wow, that's a real gap. Mm-hmm. It's looking at, I don't know how as, do you want to know? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, don't worry about it. We'll have someone else. And if you do, great. Let's get let's get the training. Let's get the support that you do. It's a really, I find, a really good way for people to know that what they're contributing is their best. And I think at the end of the day, that's what people really do want to do, whether you're on an assembly line or whether you're sitting in a medical office, you always want to make sure you're contributing your best. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Most people, the vast, vast majority of people want to do, go to work, want to do good work. We all want good environments, healthy environments. And I love what you said, this idea of trust a test that we can kind of, you know, the, a barometer for our work environment. How much do we trust the people around us? Do we trust our boss? Do they trust us? And that feeling that you have uh, of trust, what happens if I make a mistake? When I make a mistake? What happens if I don't know what's going on? What happens, you know, and if you can answer those, oh, well, I can talk to this person. Oh, as you said, it's us together or me versus you. I'm with you until you make me look bad. I'm with you until um, that trust isn't there, that trust is broken. And we all know it's much harder to put a pot back together. It can be done than to never break it in the first place and to establish that trust and keep it. I think part of it is you need to establish it. You can't just assume it. And you establish it by being it. Mm -hmm. So if you tell someone, I'm going to trust you to get it done, then the most I do is, do you have an ETA? I thought this was happening yesterday. And what that allows the team to do is be real with what's going on in their own personal lives and why it didn't get done. Because the trust is, my trust is you're going to get it done when we agreed. If it's not done, it isn't because you didn't try. Something else happened. So tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in saying, I can't get it done. This occurred. This happened to me this morning with some of the team. Uh, her mother transitioned last night and short this morning said, I cannot make the phone meetings. And I said, I wouldn't expect you to, you need to be where you are. We got it covered. No need to worry about it. That, that thing that we have to do something that we committed to the day after our mother transitions, that to me, that really is unacceptable in the workplace. Right. We need to be able to, Say, okay, we're a team, which is what I did this morning. We got it covered. I don't expect you tell me when you can come back. Until then, you you do what you need to do. And I think when people have that support, it helps them be and heal so that in this case, she can walk through those steps of having her mother transition and get to a place of healing. Then when she comes back, She'll be her best self, as opposed to, nope, you have this meeting, you have to do it. You know, you're not going to be your best self at it. Yeah. We all mean the human experience is full of suffering. That's normal. And it's full of triumph and joy. And that's normal. And I think how our leaders deal with 
the difficult times, as well as encouraging us to celebrate and take vacation. I think a leader's stance on vacation and taking personal days says volumes to the team as to whether or not you're really valued. I would agree. And people need to take it as fits them. I like to take many vacations every day. So, and that's one of the joys of, of working from home is I can do that and then work the hours I wish to work. And, and in the teams that I'm on, we generally call it holiday, not vacation, because vacation is, I am vacating this space. And so we call it on, I'm going on holiday which you're going to do this that you need to do. So when you come back, you're stronger, able to be more engaged than not. And I remember having someone, and this is how I learned about many vacations, many holidays. And she said, I, it was years ago, I do not like going on vacation. So I know when I come back, there's gonna be all this mail. This is before it would be email, but same thing. All this mail I have to address, all these phone messages that I'll be working insanely. I said, well, then tell me how you want to use your vacation. You don't have to take it in week blocks. And she said, I'd prefer to have half days. Let's do it. You know, as long as it doesn't pass the number of days you're allowed, doesn't matter to me. You, you need to have that holiday in a way that doesn't build up the tension throughout the holiday that you fear coming back. Isn't that crazy? Yes. So it was like, yeah. And she's like, well, nothing, the policy says it has to be two weeks. And I'm like, no, we can work with this. You're taking time away is to make sure you're getting fed in a different way. So you, when you come back, you can be fully you. If you're telling me that's half days, then it's half days. It didn't matter to me. And that's when I got used to having things open seven days a week. People are like, I, my my kids have sports meets on Monday every day. I really would like Monday off. Great. I'll come in on Saturday. Great. Sounds good to me. It doesn't matter to me how you get it done. As long as you get it done. Does that resonate? It's, it's a concept I, I wish more workplaces would adopt for people is the work needs to get done. Even if you're producing car parts, it's a certain amount of car parts that need to get done. Got it. At the same time, then, how do you let people go away? And I think of, you know, the the horror we began here talking about what happened in Maysville and the candle factory. And I got it. It's holiday time. This amount of candles need to be done. But there's this unprecedented storm coming. Let's Let's deal with that first. And then we can figure out how we make the candle orders. Because here's a clue. Most people in the world, if they could afford to purchase your candles online, would totally support that there was a horrific tornado and that their candles aren't going to be there on time. I don't see anyone getting that bent out of shape. If they're that desperate need for a candle, they can go to the local store and buy one. Yeah. And, and it's that moment and that's not putting shade on anyone because I'm sure the managers have their own pressure. It's that moment where we don't see what you said, the human first, and we're just focused on the widget. It's got to be focused on the person first because there'll be time to make those widgets. There'll be time. People found a way to get candles after that factory was no longer. And, and it's having 
that sense. So I'm not putting shade on anyone in that chain. To me, it demonstrated the culture of that organization. Does that? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we need to think about humanizing the whole in enterprise of work because work is for humans, by humans. And so we need to not mechanize them. Anytime you mechanize a person, you've harmed them. And even um, if you haven't been mechanized, but just thinking about people like this um, is detrimental. When we other them, we turn them into objects. And yeah. just the entire enterprise of changing around our way of thinking about each person is an individual. And we can work in whole organizations. Mm -hmm. But your example of vacation, I think, is interesting in that maybe it doesn't work for me to take half days. But if it works for you, that's fine. And so if it works for me and my family at a particular time in my life to take two weeks or three weeks, then that's fine. But I also think that when that person comes back from two weeks, they ought not have a pile up to here so that they are so stressed right. out. And that can be worked out. How can we come along yeah. inside and take this from this and answer these emails and make it so that when the person re-enters, they're not stressed out and feel like they've been irresponsible by taking care of themselves and maybe their family. And I think, Mary, the way to do that is to not have people say, stay in your own lane. Right. The example that I talked about that this morning, don't worry, we have it covered. Right. So there I was sending text messages and emails to other members on the team. Who's going to take this? Who can take this? So that when she comes back, there's not, now I have to catch up with all this stuff. The most you have to catch up with is being briefed by the people that took those parts. So what'd you accomplish? What was said? So you're moving on to that next step. And it's recognizing that when we have that ability to share our power, we are really have more power because then we can come back from vacation and not have a stack of mail and a stack of phone messages. We come back being briefed by the very people we work with. Here's what I got done on it. Here's how far I moved it. And then you take it from there. You're absolutely right. The only way to do that, Mary, is is we've got to see ourselves. And that's why I keep going back to our factory line, because the factory line is a team. If one person messes up on that line, everyone's messed up down the line. Everyone's relying on the person before them to get done what they needed to get done so they can get done what they're supposed to get done and then pass it to the person in front of them. So in one way, looking at a factory can really help us because Every one of us must get our work done. So one of us isn't there. Who's going to fill in so that that line can keep going? And then when you're able to step back in, you do. Without fear that you've now lost your job, that someone else took your job, which is generally a fear that people have. The fear that you lost your power. Well, if, if he knows how to do what I'm doing, I guess I'm not as special as I thought I was. It's removing those fears and replacing it with freedom. Freedom that I can take care of my child. I can go on holiday. I can have a moment to grieve at a loss and know that when I come back, my job will still be there and I'll be able to enter back on that line and things will keep going. It's knowing that importance of what it really means to be a team, a unit, an orchestra, band, whatever, is so critical in workplace. And we, our culture sometimes works against that. Mm 
Yeah. Well, if Mary needs to be asking five people how to do this, then why do we hire Mary? Mm -hmm. Right? As opposed to, isn't that great that Mary's asking five people? Because now she's even more fully informed. She has five different perspectives. And now she can look at all those perspectives and say, in my responsibility, what's the choice I'm now making? And so it's shifting how we look at weakness. It's shifting that how we look at failure. Failure is simply learning that that door didn't open. Let's try a new one. It doesn't mean we are a failure. It means that step didn't work. And so shifting how we define those words in our subconscious is going to be critical if we're going to have a workplace where we can talk about what we've been talking about this morning. Oh, absolutely. That reframing, right, of power even, that power is limited. No, it's not. Care is not uh, a limited supply. In fact, it's the more you care, the more you care. It grows, it blooms. And so the more you take care of the people in your work environment, it's not you've run out. You've actually added as you add to others. Yep, absolutely. I know we learn a lot from negative experiences. Have you had um, conflict in the workplace with a boss or with a peer? And and how did you deal with it? Since you're a professional, um, you, you deal with conflict professionally. How have you dealt with conflict, maybe even early on in your career? Right. I think looking at after um I began educating myself and learning these skills. It's a, it's a different way. So looking at negative environments would be prior to I had those skills. So I myself didn't have them. And I think when I look at negative work environments, it was working environments where people either didn't trust the system to take care of them or they really didn't want to be there. When I think of one of the, um, the worst situations in my mind, it was in an environment where people who did not know what we were doing felt they could tell us how to do what we were doing. That's the team. And what that bred into the team itself was, well, we need to do what they're telling us what to do, even though what they're telling us to do isn't right. But if we don't do if we don't do what they're telling us, we won't have a job. And so what ended up happening is the team started infighting with each other because you have this polar situation where, you know, I need to do X, but this outside force is saying I must do Y. So I better do Y. But now my teammates prevented me from doing Y. But that's what the outside force wants. And my teammates tell me I need to do X. That's what I was hired to do. And it set up these dynamics that became really unhealthy and toxic as I look back at those situations. I did not have the training I have now. I did not know what was going on in the situation. Um, and that that allowed me to contribute to the negativeness of the situation because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And that's why I think the work you're doing in, in workplace conflict and the work that the members I represent who deal with workplace conflict is, a, is allowing those situations not to happen for other people. How do we help you go in 
and really learn how to address this. When I look at those situations, I think, oh, well, we should have done this and this now because I have that skill set. You go, ah, this is what should have occurred. And instead, um, I didn't have that knowledge. The people on the team didn't. And it is amazing when I look back at all the negative situations, it always distilled down to who has the power, who's in the position of the power to make a decision. And when I look back at when I became um, a target for some of that negativity, it's generally when people thought I was assuming too much communication power, Hmm. that I was becoming either the face for the organization or the voice for the organization, and that made them highly uncomfortable. So when I look at those power dynamics, that it's generally when that happened that that those other things went into play. And so it's helpful now because if you're doing your work right, you would do that dynamic work and say, hey, here's here's the power that that seems to be really threatened. Let's sit here for a moment. Why is it threatened? What do you need to know? Go through those steps again. How would you want it to be different? Would be very helpful. I like how you phrased um the situation as you didn't have the skills that you have now. And a lot of times, I mean, most people I meet say I'm conflict averse. I don't like conflict. I run from conflict. And I think, yeah, I mean, who who wants to do what they perceive to be difficult? Absolutely. That's very normal. But it is a skill set. It is not rocket science. It doesn't make it not personally challenging. But they mm-hmm. are there are skills that you can learn. And like anything, if you sit down to play the piano and you haven't played before, it's not going to be pretty. But if you practice and you practice, it becomes second nature. And that's one of the things I really hope our listeners will get is that it's a skill set. They're pretty basic too. It's not difficult. The skills themselves, employing them um, may be challenging, but the more you do it, the better you get at it because you understand the process. It's such a process. And the more you feel comfortable, the more you're going to do it. Absolutely. And I also think um, recognizing if you're in an environment that won't allow you to. Mm, yes. And being okay with that. Yeah. Because to really practice leaning into conflict means really practicing how do I share my power? Whether my power be my position, I'm the boss, I should have to listen to you. My power may be economic. I'm the one that decides you get raises or not. My power may be communication. The issue that as I look back at when I had uh, toxic environments, it was it was generally within that communication power zone. But the power may be social. Everyone always looks for me to do this. Now you want me to share that with someone else? So it's really, if you're in an environment where those who have significant power in any of those quadrants don't, they like conflict. They want you to not get along. You need to recognize that and then say for yourself, is this going to make me be someone I'm not, I don't want to be, and can I leave? And can I put a plan in place so I can leave? Or is this a place that we can move forward. Something we used to call uh, back in the day is sometimes you have addition through subtraction. And if the person who has that significant power leaves, it can actually add 
to the environment and make it healthy again, where people can really interconnect with each other. Absolutely. From my perspective, the the wonderful thing about conflict resolution is that it is empowerment and it always starts with yourself. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. We aren't in charge of other people. But if we can really sit and think about and reflect about how I feel, what's going on, my needs and the particulars of the situation, then I can see, do I need to put my resume together? What do I need to do? Can I transfer to another team? What are my options? If it really is the case that I can't have this conversation or sets of conversations, a lot of times we feel like we can't, but um, there are many things that we can do to, to help us really read the situation and, but make a plan. And sometimes it is cutting your losses and leaving, but if you do that internal work, you are, I feel empowered to now see clearly what the next steps are. Absolutely. And I would ask people if you have people listening to thinking I need to develop a plan to reframe that in your head, it's how do I go to a place where I can gain more? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm building on the phrase, cut our losses. That that sounds like I lost something. You didn't, you gained some knowledge. When I go back and reflect on those spaces that were toxic, that, that were not healthy and I needed to leave and did, it wasn't a loss because each space taught me how better to be me. Each space taught me what I would and would not accept. Each space taught me what it means to empower someone, not to help them in a way that actually disempowers them. And many times we have folks who think I'm only trying to help. And what you're doing is really disempowering that other person. And you don't see that because you really are only trying to help. And when I go back and think of those spaces that were not healthy for me, it's when I really was, in my mind, trying to help. And whether it be the communication or the aspect, and those are important lessons to learn. No one is really the bad guy. And everyone is the hero of their story. And so stepping back and knowing that, even if it's someone you absolutely don't like, someone you don't get, you have so little respect for, they still see themselves as the hero of their story. So let them be their hero and just know, yeah, but I'm not the person that needs to be in your story. Mm -hmm. And that's not a loss. That's great. Let me move and gain a story where I am the person to be in that other person's story. Does that resonate? A hundred percent, because so many times, of course, we villainize the person that we find their behavior is difficult or whatever it may be. And when we when we realize, oh, they're a human person, too, and their mama probably loves them and they've got a best friend and they've got a whole life. This isn't working for me. And now I know why. And I have learned but they are a human person and they deserve respect and um, you know, empathy, you know, developing empathy for ourselves and others. And while, you know, we don't like learning those hard lessons, we learn so much um, from those difficult situations we find ourselves in. We absolutely do. And I think another gift we need to give people is not to hold them to a moment. Yes. absolutely. Every one of us is going to have a moment in which we were not our best selves at. Yeah. And we want the grace not to be held to it. We need to give that to other people as well. Yes. That they were having a moment 
they were having a situation. We don't know what else was going on in their lives. And when we hold people to that, why? What does that feed us to hold them to? Why do we need to hold them to it? Because it isn't about them. It is about you and your need to hold them to it. I think that's very freeing for folks then to step back and say, why do I need to do that? What does that represent in my past that may have occurred? And I'm now putting that past into this present moment. And so it really isn't. And I'm thinking about one of my first jobs out of college. I was held to something that wasn't even about me. And the person even said that. It wasn't about me at all. It's about someone who was there before. I didn't even know the person before I even came. And that this person was holding me to what that other person would have done when they did the same behavior. Someone I never met, never knew existed, but I was being held to it. So the issue really wasn't me. It was why, what did that other person do to you? What harm did that person facilitate for you that your body mechanism is going off when you're meeting this new person, which was me in that case, who is using similar words, what's going off? Because until you address that, you're never gonna be able to see me as someone separate from that other person. And so, like you said, it's recognizing the humanity in each other and that if I'm having a problem here, let's start with me first. Right, right. Right. We so much assume when people say, well, everybody thinks this, or everybody has a problem. Right. And I think, mm, well, be that as it may, it, in a way, that's completely separate. What is it for you? And it's not a problem for the person who's probably exhibiting the behavior or it may or may not. But yes, it, it definitely begins with the self and self-reflection. So DG, I'd like to end with thinking about the future. And when you think about the future of work, what do you think could happen or what would you like to see happen to bring in a situation where people are not only treated as people with dignity and respect, but they are in environments that help them flourish? I think what what we need to do, and it's a lot of the work I currently do, is recognize that the people are only as healthy as the system that supports them. And something, and I said this yesterday, it's a visual, I suppose, that you could have the most healthiest fish in the world and you put them in a pond that's polluted, they're not gonna survive long. And those that do survive would be those that found a way out of the pond, found the creek to go down and get out of it. And so when we're in a workplace environment, we generally like to say, oh, it's because this person is doing this or this person is reacting that way. And back to the candle factory, what in that system had all those people who could make decisions believe this was the best decision? Because then the day no one wanted anyone to perish. No one wanted anyone harmed. That was not a driver, I believe, without even knowing those individuals, for any individual. There was something in that system that said, yes, but... And so what my my envisioning for a healthier workplace is not only to help people deal with workplace conflict and work it through and enhance their skills, but also to step back and say, what in this system is facilitating this environment? I 100% agree. Uh, I, I got into this work to think I'm going to help individuals and quickly saw exactly what you said. 
And I'm so interested in system changes. And there is such good work out there and many easy fixes to put in to humanize that will help retention, will help engagement, high performance, return on investment, um, word of mouth, all these sorts of things. When you help people deal with their real problems, you have a human human way to deal with mistakes and you have a way to have transparency and clear communication, all of these things. Uh, uh, we can do it. And I hope we do more of that. That is also my hope for the future of better systems so that people can be healthy at work. Well, thank you for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure meeting you and, and having this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Thank you, DG, for such a wonderful conversation. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. If you're interested in small bite-sized tips on conflict resolution, you can find me on TikTok at 3P Conflict Restoration. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Until next time, take care.